Jokers are all here, all of them, and I don't know if I'm happy about it. Can't quite decide yet. Dude, you mm-hmm. said that with authority. The authority. episode number. Well, I felt like uh, I, I, last week it was kind of like two thirty-eight, <laughs> and this one you're like two thirty-nine. That's right, bitches. I bitches. Knew, I, I, I know what we show it is. Dude, what's going on? I know. How, I've got an abacus sitting right next to me here. We got this shit figured out. <laughs> 61 episodes until 300, Dan. Is that what it is? Yeah. Is that what the math adds up? I didn't go to math school, <laughs> so, you know. I got you covered. 300 episodes, dudes. What the hell? We doing? are some lame-ass bitches if we can talk about Ellie's <laughs> for 300, 300 episodes. episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what's going on, guys? Anything new? Anything exciting? I have Did some. Ex- fly- Did you get some flying it? Uh, yeah. Uh, I will. You know what? Usually, lately, it's been me with all the great news and oh, I had this and oh, I had that. So, I will be the one to start it off with the dismal, and everyone can laugh. I like the sound of that. Mm, this is yeah. Good. I figured. I figured you guys would. Got so a good, good sounding start to it. Let's see. Last weekend, I uh, had the opportunity to get out at the field. I drove out to the linen field to be greeted by a whole bunch of very friendly plankers. And it's, you know, they're out at that field. Flying with them really is not that bad. They're super nice. So there's no conflict like that. But it's still... You know, the, these guys have all flown with each other for a long time, so they, they, they're they constantly flying. One will go up, and the other come down, and then, you know, the next one will take off, and they'll fly too. And and so it's like, it's just kind of awkward to get in that, like, hey, can I get in here somewhere? <laughs> can everyone land, please? Yeah, well, and Without so then I'm like, hey, if I take off, I'll let you guys know, and I'll just hang over to one side. And then they're like, oh, no. If you want to fly, just let us know because then we'll uh, we want to watch. It's like, oh, that makes it way less awkward. Then, thanks. It <laughs> blows my mind how how they. I mean, dude, they fly continuously. Yeah, yeah. yeah like if you don't stop. butt in, they could basically there there are planes in the sky all day. Yeah, I must, don't blame them. I mean, for the record, must, you guys must fly with a different breed of plankers than I do. Yeah, ours fly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, ours, ours actually fly. Ours sit around a bitch and maybe get a flight in. Yeah, no. Really? Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, okay, that's not bad. And I, I got the nitro. You know, I had the uh, got the case for the Neo. So put the new case on. Uh, 
reset all my needle settings back to what I thought was a good kind of safe place and wanted to start all over with it. Uh, got it up into a, into a hover. Hey, what do you know? All the shakes and shimmies are gone. I mean, it's just dead solid. So I'm like, sweet. Start hammering on that. And like 30 seconds into the flight, the head speed just starts dropping and dropping and dropping and dropping and dropping to the point where it won't even hover. So I bring it in, land it. And I'm like, dude, really? I mean, what is going on here? Kind of looked everything over, fired it back up and same thing. So at this point, I, I pulled the glow plug out, put a brand new OS eight in there. Uh, Cause that's what I had. And, and it's like, you know, I'm, I'm at needle settings that from my past experience with the YS91s should be about where I need to be. And an OS eight, while there might be other plugs that are more perfect, this should get it flying. Uh, same thing, made it about 30 seconds and started again. And at that point I was like, you know, you know, I got all these guys watching me and it's just like, guess what's not going to get flown today. <laughs> Screw you. So I, hang it back up. And I was kind of tweaked about that a little bit just cause it's been a, you know, it's been a frustrating go. Uh, so I thought, you know what? I'm going to get some speed runs in. So I got the 500 all out and ready. Cause these would be the maiden remaiden on the hobby wing 130. still on 12 S at this point. But, um, I wanted to, you know, get it out and shake it out a little bit. So I went out there and they were flying again. And I, I said, hey, I'm just going to spool it up over here. I got to check motor direction. Uh, so I, 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 rather than, you know, normally if I was at my home field uh, or there was no one else there, I would actually walk out, set it in the middle of the runway and take it off. And so I just kind of went over to the side, uh, spooled it up, just let it, you know, start to spool up and was like, oh, sweet. Um, motor direction's good. So I hit throttle hold. Now on the V control, for those who don't have one, we have a three position switch, motor idle and motor off. Motor idle and engages your auto rotation bailout. Motor off would reset the ESC. So I go motor off and then I all, or I go motor idle and I also reach down and flip my safety switch on, which is just awesome because it, it, it has saved me Dude, I don't I can't even think mm -hmm. of how many bench starts where I've reached over and you know, you 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 hit throttle hold on accident, you bump it off and you're like <gasps> and then when it doesn't spool up, you're like, ooh. The rest. safety switch basically inhibits the throttle signal altogether, yes, right? Altogether. Well, and so yeah. even Especially. if you do bump out of throttle hold or go into idle up, it can't do anything. That's right. Well, that's the thing yep. with no more normal mode too. Even if it, I mean, you can't even go oh, low stick because it's spooling up no matter what. If yeah. that's if that so safety it, switch it isn't on, it saved my ass numerous times. I think it's a great feature. You have the option to turn it off. I chose to leave it on because uh, just because I've been really happy with it. Uh, so as I'm spooling down, and I was just about ready to walk over to it, I was like, "Oh, dude, I, you know what? I should pick it up into a hover." and check and make sure that the RPM output works. Because on some very random units, um, the on the version 4 um, ESCs, the RPM output can be glitchy. So I go over, I set it back down, 
Now I flip out of throttle hold and nothing happens. I was like sitting there for a second and I went, oh, wait a minute. You kind of get that puzzled feeling like it should be spooling up. Then it dawned on me. Oh, crap, dude. Dumbass. Uh, Safety switch. The second I hit it, I went, oh. What I had never done is gone back all the way back into motor off. Now I have my auto rotation set up on all my models for a 30 second delay so that I can tick all of them up very, very, very high and do super long, high floaty autos. That was a bad idea on this particular model. And while sitting on the ground, it went into auto rotation bailout. With this is not a big deal in itself. Because I run my blades pretty tight, and I've done this <laughs> about half yeah, a dozen Yeah, I was going to say, this is... <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. But it's always with the helicopter in the, in the landing takeoff area, right? And I'm never five feet away from it. It's also never happened and with a target head speed of 3,500 That's what RPM. I was going to say. And you're not spooling up a helicopter oh, to 3,500 no, dude. <laughs> so... This son of a bitch spun around so fast, it almost started its own tornado. <laughs> now, as it's spinning around, I knew immediately what happened. And, again, this is where situational awareness is key. Dude, I will be 100% honest. If, I was, if this was a normal flying situation, I would have sent it. And what I mean by send it is just give it a little bit more collective because it'll stay flat. As long as you're not goofing around with the cyclic, it'll stay flat. I've done it before. It pops up off the ground about three feet, spins around about half a dozen times, finally gets some tail authority. You check your shorts, all is well. Um, the, the situation was different here. Because A, I was very close to the model myself, which was mistake number one. And mistake number two, I was not doing this out in the middle of the runway takeoff area where I should have been because of all the planks flying. Mistake number two. So I made the decision to do what was the safest thing, which is hit throttle hold and bury it. Uh, luckily, it was only about six inches off the ground. It did stay flat. It did land down on the skids very hard, but it did not tip over. That saved me catastrophic failure. What it did manage to do was, it was almost like a QVC commercial. You know where they have the whole Super Ginsu slices through everything. Oh, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yep. Tomato with the blade. Yeah, well, so here's the deal. It, it, and this is because I buried the collective and just drove it down into the ground. It's obviously not the model's fault. I cut clean through uh, right side of the boom, center of the boom, tail rod, one side of the belt, other side of the belt, all the way through the boom and all the way out. I mean, perfectly clean cut through everything. No dangling bits of anything. No, it was clean. This was like a samurai sword, clean through everything, and it didn't <laughs> twice because both blades went through it. 
it did not separate any piece of blade. Now it 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 cracked the end of the blade. They're not flyable, but no at no point did any bl- blade like uh, what do I say break. It went through that fast. <laughs> Holy and, crap! Dude. Bam. Yep. So then I had you know half a dozen plankers sitting there. <gasps> what was that? You know, and so then you got to explain. Oh no, it was my stupid ass fault. You know, for not doing this over here. Blah blah blah. So I did what any good heli pilot should do in a situation like that. I put it in the trailer, closed the trailer drawers, and went home. <laughs> one With your tail between yeah, your legs and one eighth flight. <laughs> yep, it Dude, just wasn't that sucks. Yeah, it was. It it sucked a huge one because those were a very special set of blades that are not available. So, yeah, those are those nice. are a little bit hard to get and, a hold of. And even more than that, dude, that thing was freaking dialed. It was dialed. It really was. But, you know, <sighs> I was pretty pissed at first. Uh, the nitro has just been, it's been a long nightmare ride, which I think we're going to talk about actually a little bit. Um, did we decide that we were, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, but it, you know, I was talking to Justin about it and here, here was my conclusion. I was upset at first, but as I started kind of talking it through with myself, I sat back and went, you know, it's kind of hard to get mad right now. And it's kind of hard to get mad right now because I have had what I would call the run of all runs of awesomeness. I have had no plaguing issues, no nightmarish streaks, no nothing for a long time. I would say that this is even like the longest streak of problem-free flying that I've had it, it, since I've been Ever? in the hobby. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I just went past. Uh, I didn't even catch it till I was uh, looking around at some logs. I just went past flight number 500 on the 570. Let me think about that. Now, I'm going to knock serious, on wood. Dude. But that's 500 flights with no crashes on that model, which I'll put it in now, and that's okay. But. Not one failure and all these other models and not one problem. So you kind of have to like put it into perspective as pissed off as I was, man, I, I feel like, okay, it's all good. I'm still way on the upside. Yeah, but it's real easy to lose that perspective when it all happens in such a relatively short time. It is really easy, especially on, you know, so here, here's another thing. It's, even more so on a model that shouldn't be crashed. By all means, that 500 should never crash. Right, because, Justin? Yeah, right, Justin? <laughs> but that's oh, oh, I'm what, not sure I understand what you're getting at here, bitches. Oh, well, uh, but I the, mean, rest, that's, the rest of us do. So it's in right. your mind, those are not, you never go out there. I don't. To fly a model like that, thinking there's a crash race. Oh, okay. Yes, thank you. I get it. I get it. No, they're not. That's not usually part of your thought process with speed. No, and and Dan, like when I was out flying the 700, you're like, dude, you're you're gonna crash. It's like, yes, I am. (laughs) 
<laughs> I know that's out. a part of that kind of flying, but it's not a part of that. So, and you keep the, everything is so perfect with the model that it, it feels tainted, but you know, yet another reason why I could never do speed because I would get one pass and it would crash. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a frustrating uh, thing. Yeah. But I, I, I get it. I just, this was an extenuating circumstance, dude. Yeah. It would be one thing if you went up there and you maidened it with the new speed controller and you did something stupid or it, you know, it blew up or something and you had a crash. Yeah. Or a rough auto. But this was just, I feel like this was just a a bad luck thing. You yeah, know? it was. It's a bad luck. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it, it was just situational. You know, I probably should have just driven by and been like, whoa, a whole ton of people there. I'm going to go the other direction because that's just not me. I've learned when I go to the field, I'm not there to be overly social. I am there to fly. Yep. And it doesn't matter how awesome or how nice those guys are. It's just harder the more people that there are. So, you know, lesson learned. It's uh, We move on. This week I got... I got my parts ordered uh, to get it back in the air. I will. I'm uh, should be able to get another set of those blades. Um. Let's see. I made some custom landing gear for the 500. Justin got to see a picture of that. Uh, oh yeah. Some wire speed gear. Yep. Busted out with the you know wire. The, the 500 sport. Uh. The little. Rear landing flippers are are quite aerodynamic, except when you put it at like a 45 degree angle of attack. And, you know, am I going fast enough for it to make a difference? I don't know. But but it looks cool. But it looks cool. Drop 20 grams making my own compared to the stock one. So any reduction in weight and if it can add aerodynamics, then... I'm on board because that's where we're at with this model. We're down to the we're down to the five to ten percent, squeezing it out of it. Mm. Yeah, nitro. Okay, so nitro. The plan for the nitro. Well, I'm gonna. I ordered a new ring. I'm gonna start fresh, and I'll I'll, I'll kind of wait and let everyone know how it works out. Um, I talked to someone who I believe is a very reputable source, been flying YS for a long time, flies cool power and flies the Hattori 120 pipe, uh, on his track motors. And I feel like this guy's pretty good wealth of information. So he gave me some ideas for glow plugs and, and needle settings. And if it turns out just to kind of get me headed in the right direction, I don't know what it is about this motor, but it's an asshole. So hopefully we can we can try and get that dialed in a little better. I hope to have that rebuilt and back together for Sunday because I need I need some need some retribution there. Need to bounce back there. So, so here here's a fun little game we can play. Now don't don't give us any details. Okay. Uh, um but what if we had some listener involvement? So Nick just mentioned that he's going to mess around with some glow plugs and some tunings. Mm-hmm. You Now, I mean, I know, and all of us know what glow plugs you're going to go with. Um, let's see if listeners can kind of figure it out, because I know the three of us were like, 
Huh? When we were told what you yeah. were going to get for it. Yeah. And, and not only that, the, the, tune, the needle settings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the so how about settings. this? Uh, start a thread in HeliFreak. And then for, every, for anyone that has the Turek 91, put your pipe combo, your glow plug that you choose, your fuel, and your needle settings. And we'll see, we'll just see where everyone's at. Because if there's one thing that I've learned is that it's all over the board with this motor and all over like, like just, it is not like the old days about that. Nope. No, it is not. Taser gal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No kidding. So I think that's. As far as Heliwise goes, yeah, it was unfortunately a lot of ordering this week. Nothing fun. I do believe I've come up with a plan. I had a couple of people, you know, I had some people um, give me some information on packs. And then I, dude, all right. <laughs> this This listener brought up the single most obvious thing. And I just sat there like, that is the best idea, and why did I not think of that? Well, we're 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 past plug and play stage with the five hundred. Now we're going for absolute fastest some bitch out there in the in that class. That's where I want. So he goes, you know, you had mentioned you were struggling to find the size packs that you want. You're flying the the six S twenty seven hundred thirty Cs right now. He goes. You had mentioned that it's the pack length. Why don't you just buy another one and take us two cells out of the other one and add it to the other packs? Oy. Then they're Wait, all that's from. Not, that's not new. No, it wasn't new, but I hadn't even considered that. I told you that, dude, like a long time ago. You talk a lot. You really do. That doesn't mean I was listening. <laughs> That's a load of bullshit right there. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it just never. How about this? It Didn't probably play. really never registered in my head because I was thinking at that time. Well, I've got, I, I'm sure I'll find some packs. I, mm-hmm. I really do believe that's what it was. I always knew that that was an option. It's not something that I have done before, but I feel like now that even despite not having done it, I feel like it is the option. Yeah, I've I've messed with yep. it. It's a big pain in the ass. But but if you can do it right, it's worth it because of how compact things well, are. Well, and the problem is, Justin, you have those set of the prototype set of seven S twenty seven hundreds, right? From OptiPower? Yeah. And they won't fit. No. They're too long. close. That's They're what huge. he's running in the R five. So because because of the C configuration, they're too long. I I feel like this really is. I have the room height wise. I don't have the room length wise. I'll just add it if I add two cells to one pack or one to the other. You know, whatever it doesn't. At this point, it kind of doesn't matter. Well, I think yeah. that's the route I'm going to go. You're probably going to have to sacrifice a couple of packs to figure out how to do the soldering. Yeah, and I it's have not some, standard soldering. I have some old packs to practice on. So that's good. 
Well, Justin, you know how to do it, don't you? Yeah, I do. Just send them to Justin. Have him do it. Send them to Justin. You could do that, too. It might actually be one of those things where I go down there and we do it together. So you could learn how to do it. Yeah, because I do. I really do want to do this. Is it something that I want to do all the time? Oh, hell no. But for this situation, I am really kind of just out of options if I want to go up. Sweet. Yeah, yeah. I think that's it. I'll go next. With flying season in full swing, in midsummer right around the corner, one of the most important things to me is getting parts quickly. There's absolutely nothing worse than being out at the field all weekend, banging out the flights only to end the weekend with a crash, and to know that you might not be able to get the parts in time to have your heli ready for next weekend. I always look for parts at LowerHeli.com as they have excellent customer service and, of course, fast shipping. I know that as soon as I place an order, Ken is on it. So for all your parts needs, be sure to check out LowerHeli.com. got a few days of flying in this week. The tally mark on the trailer for the 570 is up to 57 flights. Woo! Wow. Mm -hmm. Two days of flying this week. And um, every time I fly it, I think I like it a little bit more. And kind of getting some cycles in on those packs, taking good care of them so we can get some data for Nick on the the review. Yeah, now I'm going to have to get a (laughs) flight count from you and like do a match. Are you doing IR as well, Dan? Uh, no, I'm not doing any of the data collection. Nick is going to do it. Yeah, we decided not to because the most consistent thing is yeah, for me to do it on my chargers exactly the way I did it for every other one. But yeah, I am, that's, that's fair. But I'm taking care of them the way Nick prescribed. So, yeah, not leaving them charged. And, uh, you know, uh, we set the voltages on the, uh, on the V control the same. So we're running them down the same. Yep. And, yeah, so He's charging them the same. I mean, on the charger, same charger, same everything. So, yeah, that was good. I got to tell you, though, uh, that that crash at Dieter's Fun Fly, it, it, uh, it, it really, it did, ta- it did take a toll on my flying a little bit. It, it did, there was a loss of confidence. I went out uh, Tuesday, I believe it was the first day, and um, I went out with Fred. We went flying, and I was like, "Man, I, I went went to went to do some of the stuff that I'd been doing, and I just couldn't bring myself to do it because that's what I ended up losing orientation on, right?" So kinda, it was a it was a half pyro flip, right? Yeah, right. And I just and I you know and I was thinking about. I was really kind of getting pretty confident with them where I would just do them anytime I wanted. Now, wouldn't, you know, on, on the right side, I could do them and they would look really good. On the left side, I could do them and they would look really shitty. But, it, you know, I was at least trying them. And um, I just, man, I, the whole day, uh, I think I got 12 flights in that day. I just couldn't, I, I decided to not let it bother me. Um, 
and just kind of roll with it, kind of build some confidence back up with it. And um, sure enough, the next day I went out and seemed to have gained it back. I was able to give it another shot and go for it. I, I still I still haven't tried the full um, again. And, uh, you know, we'll see soon. I feel it coming soon. I've uh, been doing it on the sim. They, they still look like crap, but, uh, you know, you got, you got to get them. You got to get the stick movements down before you can start to perfect them. Right. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it was, it just went really well. Another thing I decided to do, of course, the 300 is, uh, bashed up and I started putting together a parts list and I got to thinking, I'm like, Hmm, you know, I converted the 270 tail. So it's fully, it's set up as a competition model. Mm-hmm. just like the 300 was. So I thought, hey, because the mainly because we just put so much time into that 300 and there's so many more flights on it. I was like, geez, I got, I got like, I don't know, a handful of screws and I can just swap this motor out into the 270 frame. So I put the 300 in the other frame. That makes sense? Yeah. So there uh-huh. we go. I'm following. So yeah, I was able to get the 300 back into the air. It's, I guess the it's the 300.2. I don't know what you want to call it, but so I was able to get the gasser back up in the air. Now I, I still, uh, it did a couple things for me. It, it put a little less, I guess, emphasis on hurrying up and getting parts together uh, for the very soon to come uh, Snohomish Funfly uh, because I do have. The other helis I can fly and it just it felt I don't know it kind of felt like I was cheating a little bit but I was like you know what I want to I just want to get this this thing back up in the air as quick as I can um and not really mess around a whole lot with tuning on the 270 plus I think we've got enough fuel through the 300 now that um you know Carrie Shirley was telling me about three gallons they really start to come to life and we're a little over three gallons I think we're almost four almost yeah, four and a half gallons or so through that through that machine now. So, yeah, I made the swap there. Uh, didn't have it ready the first on Tuesday when I went flying, but uh, this morning had it ready. So I got some flying in on that as well. I don't. I think I'm, I don't know. I think I'm somewhere around thirty or so flights with that now. Twenty five, thirty. Damn, nice, dude, man. you're racking them nice. up. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I got a little extra free time on my hands, but you know what? That's starting to wear thin. I'm starting to get fidgety. I'm starting to get uh, antsy about getting back to work. So, dude, come do my you, job, and I'll take off exci- flying for a so while. So you are actually yeah. feeling it, like you want to go back to work? Yeah, because I'm like, I just I feel like I need to be doing something. Oh, uh, you are so silly. Flying helis, man. Well, <laughs> flying helis. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I, like I need I need to start. I don't know. I just feel like I need to get back to work. I can't really explain. Well, I have a yard that is calling your name, Dan. Yeah, actually, I think I might be showing up next week sometime. <laughs> I haven't talked okay. to you about it yet. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> by he- the way. Heads up, Nick. Dan's going to be here in about a week, dude. Actually, what I'm thinking about doing, uh, you know, person Homish is, is bringing, getting the, tr- uh, the motorcycle loaded into the truck and bringing the trailer. And coming up to your place, because we found a place where we can unload the bike. Remember that, Nick? Yep. We sure did. It, it looked perfect. 
like the height look perfect. Oh everything. yeah. So what I'm thinking I want to do is come a little early, uh, go out to Linden Field and unload the bike, and then um, take like two, three, or four days, kind of cruising up and down the coast, go down and see my brother, go out to Mount Rainier, a few other places like that, uh, and then come back in preparation for Snohomish. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. That'll be a fun. I, I think that'll be, I wanted to do one or two more long trips, but I think that's going to be, you know, aside from just cruising around here, that might be it. Time to get, time to get back to work, strangely enough. <laughs> but as far as the helis go, uh, I'm sitting in a good place right now. Um, I've got, I've, I've got two helis flying really well. I feel like my flying is progressing. Um, I was, like I said, I was a little taken aback by, I didn't think that crash was going to affect me because crashes really never did used to affect me a whole lot. How long had it been since you crashed? Don't even if you're know. you're crashing all the time, it becomes no big deal, but. I, you know what? I couldn't even tell you. That's I'm kind of right in that. I'm kind of right in that same boat or if I think when that crash happens again, it's going to do the same thing mentally to me just because it's been, it, it hasn't been a regular thing. That about wraps it up for me. Who's next? Now that I've owned two full sets of BK high-voltage coilless servos, I can honestly say that these are the best full-size cyclic servos I have owned to date. These things are crazy fast, with a speed of 0.049 seconds per 60 degrees, and plenty strong, with a torque rating of 295 inch ounces. Oh, and to top all this off, they're only 99 bucks a piece. So whether you're looking to replace an old set of worn out servos or outfitting that brand new heli, be sure to head over to bkservo.com. Exciting shit, dude. No, that's why you're going last. Because you better have some exciting. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Well, I, obviously I that's why I jump about. I'm good. I got you covered. All that's right, it. all right, sweet. Okay. So I'm, you know, somewhere. You know, Nick got out, tried to fly. Dan got out. It's did some flying. Fortunately, this last weekend, I totally got on this. I don't know, call it a character fly or whatever. Totally got on this one track mindset. And I'm not going to lie, I had opportunities to get out of the field and whatnot. The weather was decent Saturday. Saturday and Monday, I think the weather was decent. Um, But I was just, man, wrapping up these big house projects. And it was so close to being done that I was like, you know what? I just got to use this long weekend off work. And I got the help and get this thing wrapped up. So I have to take a no-fly this week, unfortunately. Ooh. But. No-fly. The silver lining here, the silver lining is that the house project is done, completely done. Last piece of tongue and groove went up Monday at about noon, and I have not touched it since. Got everything cleaned up. The backyard is now not a mess anymore, and it's totally usable. 
So it's nice to have the you know major house projects behind me. But even though I didn't fly, there was still um, a bit of heli stuff that did go on. So managed to get in some wrenching. If you remember back to last week, I went to the field with two helis and came home with none. Nothing major, all all pretty minor stuff. So got the protos, you know, links and everything, uh, the head rebuilt and got that ready to go again. And then obviously just a new uh, boom support bolt in the N7. And I'm really kind of torn with the N7. I know last week I said that I really wanted to, you know, I felt like it was getting due for some maintenance and it's a you know really good point to just tear the thing down, take a look at the motor and just, you know, the t- typical nitro stuff. But at this point, and especially after talking tonight and kind of reaching that realization, like, oh crap, Snohomish is only two weeks away. Um, Kind of second guessing that. So I'm, I might dig into it just a little bit just to see, okay, does it actually need maintenance or am I just, it, it does it actually need it as a main thing? Because what I'm worried about is getting it torn down, getting into it. Now, most of the parts, you know, that would be your bearings and your, your wearables, let's call them on that helicopter, I'm going to have in stock. I have a huge bin full of parts, so I'm not really worried about not having something, but if I do get in there and something needs to be replaced pretty bad that I don't have, it's like, there goes a whole week of waiting on, you know, basically waiting to get parts. And so what you're saying is that you'd rather just not know about it. Well, it's like, it's, it's <laughs> That's not what there, I'm hearing. I know there's <laughs> nothing, there's nothing right now. Well, no, because once I'm in there and if I have it all torn down, if there's a bearing, that's just like a little bit notchy or just bare, you know, it's like, I'm going to replace that because I, I got the helicopter torn down. It's accessible. I'm not going to put it back together with a bearing. That's, you know, probably completely fine to fly, but I'm in there. Now's the time to replace it. Where if I don't tear it down, I'm not really getting any red flags, warning signs. It's just, it's been, you know, been a few flights. I want to take a look at a couple things. No, it's not that I, yeah, it's not that I don't want to know about it. Does that make sense? Yes. No. Yeah, I it's just you. like getting in there. I'm going to replace this. Basically any little thing that, that I see, I'm going to, I'm going to want to get it replaced. It's all torn down. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you want to? Um, so we'll, we'll see where, we'll see where that goes. I might, like I said, just dig into it enough to get the motor out and kind of tear that apart and take some more pictures and whatnot, but not dig too far into the airframe. So we'll see what's the home two weeks away, which is absolutely crazy. Um, in addition to that, this last week at work, um, sitting there at lunchtime, you know, scrolling typically at, at lunch, I sit at my desk, kind of log out of my computer. So I'm try to dis- disconnect myself from work a little bit for the 20, 30 minutes and scrolling through my phone on Facebook. And all of a sudden I just got this, I don't know. I started seeing a lot of heli videos come across the feed, which is quite typical. You know, we're a lot of helicopter f- friends in the hobby and I still have all that integrated with my personal Facebook. Um, so you know, no big deal there. And just tons of videos. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to start watching some heli videos. And believe it or not, I spent like three out of my out of what is it four lunches this week and watched heli videos almost the entire time just sitting there going you know i was getting to the point where it's like picking it apart going oh that's a move i could learn that's a move i could probably already do that one might be stretching a little bit and really just kind of remembering back to getting into the hobby and thinking back you know flying in pullman and all that stuff helicopter videos seriously used to be the inspiration for new maneuvers that we were working on on the sim 
and just coming up with creative kind of new things. You know, those type of moves where if a person's watching it and if you execute the move correctly, they're going, whoa, what did the helicopter just do? They're trying to think back through it. This was really clean, deceptive um, maneuvers. So I'm kind of curious for you guys, is that still a part of the hobby for you? Because for me, it hasn't been for a really long time. I've scrolled past just videos for the last six months to a year, nearly just watching one-offs here and there, not really seeking them out. Maybe, you know, victory flights and whatnot and stuff like that, the big ones. But as far as just like your common videos that you see on Facebook, I really... And as far as watching and clicking on them, I've been bad about it lately. And so I felt like that was really just drawing me back in and wanting to, I don't know, learn and figure out some of those things. I think it's an awesome idea. No, I don't. And you and I used to do that all the time. Yeah, I just remember sending them back and forth like, oh, check this one out. Go to like three minutes and 37 seconds yeah, and look what? at the move that he does. <laughs> yeah, what is that? I um, I don't. I don't anymore. I I. I ha- I, I don't think I've ever done it as much as you guys are. At least it sounds like you guys are saying you have. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I kind of feel like watching the videos. They get old after a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, people do different maneuvers. That's great. But there's only so much that I can watch and feel. Uh. I don't know. Motivated isn't the right word, but feel entertained or excited about. Now, mm-hmm. you know, there are notable exceptions. There are certain pilots where if a new video comes out, I'm always going to want to see what they've got yeah. going on. You know, just because, you know, that pilot's got it always got something crazy up their sleeves. Nick Maxwell, one of them, just for the sheer shock and awe. Bobby Watts because of the style, that mm-hmm. sort of a thing. Yeah, but. I don't know, man. I just, I've always just would rather see it in person. And even then it gets old. I'm not, I'm the same boat. I never really, I, I used to watch a lot of heli videos, but kind of this along the same lines as Justin's thinking is unless there's something particular, you know, like you mentioned, Jesse, a victory flight or it's somebody who I really appreciate their flying style. And of course, Bobby Watts is one of those. The one thing that's always, the reason that has never really worked for me, because those guys are all flying at a level that I'm mm-hmm. probably never reach, right? It never will reach. What works for me is at Fun Flies, watching pilots who are just a little more advanced than I am. Yeah, um, yeah, I got you. No, that's I, true. I can see, I watch them and I go, I may not be able to do that completely, but there's aspects of what he just did that I could do. I know I could. And it's just one more yeah. thing to, you know, to incorporate. So videos, no. In person, yes. And I'm not talking about one, you know, look, I've said it a thousand times before. My favorite style of flying is kind of the, fly, the flying style that, that you two do, Nick and Jesse and Bobby Watts. It's that smooth, slow, intentional yep. 3D, as I call Controlled. it. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't ever get anything from the, from the bankers because that shit, it's, I feel like they're just constantly correct and not necessarily intentionally doing shit. Yeah. Yeah. Granted they're good. Yeah. They're good, but I'd yeah, rather see true. slow and transitions. 
And I mean, don't get me wrong. There's still a lot of maneuvers where it's like watching these videos going, okay, cross that one off. Yeah. Cross that one off. Okay. I don't have enough time to even (laughs) figure out what just happened. Okay. (laughs) You know, stuff like that. But no, there's a lot of cool little, and I think kind of picking through the videos. um, And like you're saying, Dan, watch someone that's just a little bit better than you. And I think everyone does moves throughout their routine, whether it's, you know, a transition or a single maneuver that's just barely out of your reach. So I I guess, yeah, I was more keying off that type of stuff. So going along with what you said, as I was watching the videos, but honestly, as far as like for me, just to fire up the SIM, sit down at the SIM and start figuring out and working through new creative maneuvers. it, It just, it's not something I've done in the past and probably not something I'm going to excel at or do in the future. Really, a lot of the creativity comes from figuring out what other people have done and tweaking it and changing it and kind of adding your own style to other maneuvers. So the videos just kind of it just yeah. kind of remind it just kind of brought me back going, man, to actually progress. I got to watch flight videos because I just all that stuff is not in my head right now. It's you know, it's what other people are doing. It's it's what other pilots are are working on so yeah i think that's fair because i've i mean last when dan and i were out there and i was starting to you know get super comfortable and stuff i had some stuff that i knew i needed to work on Mm -hmm. but they were very uh f3n maneuvers just very you know okay i need to work on my pirouetting mobius that i've been trying I need to practice my right rudder pyro flips, but it wasn't, yeah. you know, it wasn't anything like, Hey, I've got this really crazy transition. I saw, I want to try and practice. Yeah, it's exactly. all just very specific kind of box standard maneuvers. Yeah. And it's the same, you know, the same thing for me when I go out to the field, there's like those few maneuvers that I know I should be working on pure TikToks, left rudder pyro flips, pyro flip reversals. It's like, those are what I should be focusing on. Those are the next kind of, set maneuver so to call it that i would progress to and perfect but beyond that there's not a whole lot of other moves that are floating around out there going okay once i learn those and i want to go to this so yeah i just you know that i think a huge step for me is going to be reincorporating the videos figuring out stick maneuvers on the sim and then going out there and trying them in real life so yeah so that was good this last week and then the, the other thing was man i know you guys have all seen this so you know the field box that i use the bright orange one where it kind of flips up rotates back and then it has i put my transmitter and starter on the bottom have some foam cutouts to go in the very very bottom of the box and then on the top shelf little area i kind of organize all my tools pliers drivers loctite and whatnot and then there's a single drawer that pulls out and i kind of have little you know miniature fishing tackle boxes in there, nuts, bolts, odds and ends, miscellaneous parts for each helicopter and some tri-float and whatnot in there. Well, the box is no more. It has broken. One of the clips has broken off the front, which, hey, for you guys might not sound like a big deal, but I've used this thing for a lot of years now, if you remember back. We need to send you a new museum or something. Yeah, so it's it's definitely going up on the shelf because man, that thing has a lot of mi- no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> a lot of mileage on it, but hang hanging on the wall. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Jesse's second turn it field into box. a coffee table. 
<laughs> would love that. <laughs> well, can can you get a can you get a replacement? You know, I could. I I do know where another one of those boxes exists, but I'm taking this as an opportunity to move on, putting that in the past. So, so we're at Nick's place the other day, uh, yesterday, in fact, and we got to talking, and it's like, man, remember those cool boxes that we had where you could put the fuel in the bottom, and they're the is it the Stanley? I, I think they're all. All of those are the Stanley yeah. boxes. Yeah, but, the, yeah. like but, the black you know, you get one with Lowe's. the yellow clips. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, there's a couple different options of those boxes, but you know, we were just talking. Remember how cool it was that you could fit so much stuff in them? You could have your fuel in the bottom, transmitter, and all your tools up top. Um, and for me, I still, you know, no tonneau cover on the truck, so height's not really an issue. Just throw one bungee strap around it. And then Nick got thinking. He's like, you know what? I think I still have almost all three of those options down in the basement, old, old heli room. And so we went down there and sure enough, he had basically every freaking box you could think of down there. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> all, and still all like, de- you know, yeah, I stickered had all out three and, that, that they had made in different did. styles. Yep. I went through yep. a little box phase. All right. Yes, you did. I yeah. went through the same thing and, and I'm you- so glad I don't do it anymore. Cause that's painful, dude. You got to admit. Yeah, Nick's to. even given one of them to me. Oh, really? <laughs> I think I've given one or two of them to Nick. <laughs> it's so, ridiculous. So the one that I I landed on, decided to get to give it a try, was the big one. I think it. I think it even says like the Fat Max on it. The one that yep. folds out and has like the three different layers. You got the huge storage section underneath, middle section, which is going to be great for heli parts and miscellaneous odds and ends for each model and then you know all the tools and the transmitter up top so it's definitely a whole lot bigger than the current box that i'm working with but on the flip side my truck you know i back my truck up right up to the garage so i'm literally five to ten feet away from where the thing will be sitting in my garage i'll have to move it to get it up into my truck so not a huge concern it's not like i got to go up any stairs or Go long distance or whatnot. Yeah, so, that was for me. It was like I had it full of so much stuff. Getting up out of the basement, basement. stairs yeah. through three <laughs> doors to get to the outside. And then, you know, at that time, I couldn't roll it all the way over yep. to the truck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. So I don't, I don't have to worry about the weight thing. So I can totally load this thing up. And really, I'm thinking fun flies too, because this is going to help condense my fun fly setup where if I can transfer in a few things out of that you know, three-tier rubber-made storage deal that I usually take to fun flies with me. So if I can get a few things out of there into this, I think it could condense down kind of the fun fly setup and just how, you know, underneath that 10 by 10 pop-up at a fun fly, how it's set up. Um, I think it'll be more convenient. And the other thing I'm excited about is being able to put, you know, a couple gallons of fuel in there. Right now, I just kind of have a little section in the bed of my truck where just this little box sits that's bungeed in. So being able to incorporate that back into the heli box, um, just always making sure I have a couple gallons of fuel on hand because you never know if that electric goes in, then you're good to go finish out the day with the nitro. So haven't really started cust- you know, putting stuff in it, customizing it yet. Um, need to get the old box cleaned out and then get everything moved over and see what ends up coming out of that uh, Rubbermaid deal and ends up going into that box. That'll come to the field with me every time now. So. We will see, but that that will be this next week. I'll be going through and getting that getting that all set up for both yeah flying at the field on the weekends and then fun fly set up as well. So 
Nice. Sad but exciting. <laughs> so, other than that, um, Nick, if you remember back, what was the one thing you told me not to forget when I left your house? Uh oh. <laughs> uh oh. Yep. So, I yeah. Still have, I still have a nice Hobby Wing 160 um, sitting at Nick's place. <laughs> the replacement is here. Oh, oh dude. man. I, I got to get that early next week and get that thrown on the heli so I can get some flying in on that ESC before Snohomish. So that's the goal for early, early next week. And uh, yeah, other, other than that, it, it feels like it was a solid week. Like I made some gains, but um, still no flying. So hmm. good to go though. Sweet dude. You guys all know me. And you definitely know what I look for when it comes to helicopters, and that is reliability. For several months now, in hundreds of flights, I've been flying the MSH Protos Max. I'm to the point where I have complete confidence when this heli's in the air. I know that the quality manufacturing and the amazing part support from MSH USA will keep this model at the top of my list. For those of you looking for a top-notch 700 or even an 800-class helicopter, that screams quality and has an unbeatable price tag, look no further than MSHUSA.com. Well, so I guess that leaves me. Uh, I did get flying in. I don't take a no-fly, so we've, we've got a nice little compliment sandwich here. I got out on Saturday of last week. Of course, last weekend was the long weekend because of the Independence Day holiday. And so, yeah, got out on Saturday, spent most of the day out there. Uh, Same exact protocol as the last time. Only flew the TDR2. And, of course, if you remember back to the last time we talked, I was having issues with it kind of flying like shit. And I had, at the end of that flying day, I had realized what I thought was going to be the ticket, what what my problem was, and it was the sinusoidal linearizer. So went out uh, on Saturday, uh, and first thing, changed the sinusoidal linearizer to zero, turned it off in the Bavarian Demon. And uh, first flight, night and day difference. Nice. That was it. So, uh, super, super psyched. And at first, you know, I didn't believe it. I was kind of, kind of like, all right, no, you know what? Still baby it a little bit. Second flight went out there, pushed a little bit harder, uh, still couldn't get it to do anything funky, but you got to remember I had, I had just gotten done with, you know, 15 or 20 flights of it's not feeling right. I'm uncomfortable with it. What is it going to do next? That's going to scare me. And so it took a flight or two to kind of get back into the get back into the swing of things. But yeah, turning that off completely eliminated the the porpoising tendency. And then what I noticed was, oh, hey, it's flying like a speed helicopter that doesn't have enough head gain. So start moving the head gain up and it starts locking in. So remember, I I said before to get it to fly even halfway confidence inspiring, I was down at a gain of like 35. 
And the typical speed heli gain for head uh, on Bavarian Demon is between 45 and 55. Some people have said they can get higher than that. Uh, and and so I knew that was my first sort of key to, to having that problem. Within two flights, I had it all the way back up to 45. Now I'm up at 50, and it keeps getting better as I go. So absolutely 110% confident that solved the problem. And that's, you know, that's a nice feeling. I mean, in the hobby, we deal with a lot of issues and oftentimes, depending on how rigorous you want to be about tracking them down, they can remain mysteries, right? Well, uh, yeah, it was making the sound. Uh, I pulled the tail boom off and I put it back on and now it doesn't make the sound anymore. Don't know what it was. Was it a bad bearing or a belt or, you know, whatever, but it's not doing it anymore. So I'm going to leave it alone. So I, I feel like even when I deal with the issues, it's seldom that you reach root cause with 100% confidence. So that was a good feeling. And of course, it allowed me to actually start flying the thing and tuning it and doing some practice. So uh, got another, I think I got in about eight flights on it uh, after the first couple to make sure that the sinusoidal linearizer was the, the problem. And it is now, it is, it's rocking, man. Um, up at 2,500 RPM, 25, 2550, something in that range. It holds a line like no other. Uh, it flies like it's on freaking rails, which is so much better. I can't tell you how excited I am that I don't have to deal with a $5,000 piece of shit. <laughs> um, even, even went up on the head damping a little bit just to get a bit crisper feel in the head. And it's, I mean, it's really weird. Uh, you know, every heli feels different and this is my first helicopter that has adjustable head damping and 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 i gotta tell you now granted i'm not flying it in 3d and i'm sure it makes a difference in 3d as well in fact jesse maybe you can speak to it from your experience with the chronos but even with something like speed where i'm not doing it's not as dynamic as 3d in the air i i can tell a difference between just a couple of clicks uh, so, you know, to give you a feel for scale, I think the maximum number of clicks is like 15 or 18. And I've been going between seven and 12 ish, somewhere in that range. Mm. Uh, it, it, it doesn't have negative tendencies as if to suggest that you're at too low or too high a damping. So it's wobbly. It, it just changes the it changes the response of the model to inputs in a way that gain and electronic like fly barless agility or initial response does not. Uh, and, and so it was really kind of cool to experience that. Do you find that it affects your gain though? It has a small effect on gain. Now, okay. again, I mean, you, you got to take it for what it is because we're talking about flying really fast in one direction. Yeah, I guarantee you if I was trying to, you know, do smack flying or something like that, 
then I would see a bigger difference. Yeah, because I was going to say that was the that was the main thing I noticed was the the difference in gain as you adjusted that hand, head dampening. And you did you see a lot of gain difference or just um, not a couple a ton. of points? Yeah, a couple of points. Um, but it was it was to the point where you would start seeing bobbles. I mean, you would get clear signals that it was too high if you started going up on the you know stiffening up the dampening. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm not seeing that probably because I'm staying in what I'd consider sort of the mid to high range of the damping uh, mm-hmm. stiffness, and so it's probably all reasonably well suited for the head speeds that I'm running. Uh, but anyway, that that was a cool little yeah. Is there too? Uh, sorry to interrupt because I was kind of actually thinking about this this week. Okay, you know I I have the 500 as I'm sitting right. here dinking around with it, waiting for the parts to show up. It's on. Kind of like the, I have the Delrin dampers in there, but it, it's shimmed as per it would 3D wise. Would okay. I benefit from going up and for speed? How do I know if I'm too high? I mean, well, what's the difference between less damping and, and I, you know, crank up my rates maybe a little bit or my, my response? versus I put more in there and tighten it up, you know, more shims and tighten it up and then detune my fly barless system. Yeah, and it, it those are really good questions, and I can certainly speculate just based on what we all understand about the physics of the damping, but this is kind of why I wanted to bring up the topic because it's it's not only the first damping tunable heli I've played with, but it's the first time I've ever really messed with damping on a speed heli. You, I mean, we know from the basics of head damping that the higher head speed you're running, the stiffer you want the damping to be. And there's there's a tolerance. So for a given head speed, you can have you can have squishier or you can have tighter. But as long as they're in a reasonable range of each other or or distance from each other you're not going to get super negative tendencies. It's really like you said, Jesse, more of a, more of a, a gain or a feel thing. Yeah. But if you go and try to put the softest dampers available on a model that you're spinning at 2,500 RPM, you're going to have issues Yeah. and vice versa, because the stiffness affects how the blades bounce, how they flex in flight. So, I mean, up until now, and probably still now, my suggestion is always or has always been go with the stiffest dampers that that model has available if you're flying speed or the stiffest shims, however the model does it. Right, Nick? Mm-hmm. But but now that I'm seeing in this particular case that the tuning, the tuning affects the the, not just the response of the model and where the response is important is in the transitions, the reverse half Cubans, but it also affects how rigid it stays attached to the figurative rails in a pass. And it does so in a different way than head gain does. Um, and so the I, and I know I'm I'm struggling with the description here because it's such a new sensation. But the best way I can describe it on the reverse half Cubans, uh, the model responds almost instantaneously, moves 
much more linearly and stops immediately. Okay. To my control inputs with the, with the higher, the, I'm sorry, the stiffer damping. Whereas if I, you know, that was at like 12. If I go back down to seven, I can feel like it still does everything I tell it to do and nothing else. It doesn't drift. It, it's not inaccurate in its stops. It's just it feels mushier. And when I increase the gain to compensate, it doesn't take it all away. Does that make sense? Yeah. So anyway, very, very interesting. Unfortunately, it's probably not something that is very strongly applicable to other speed models because this is the only one that I know of that has adjustable head damping unless someone's out there, you know, wanting to fly S4 with a Kronos, at which point maybe you've got got something to share, too. Hey, Quinn. Yeah, I just realized that. But so anyway. Really cool experience. The thing hauls ass. Uh, super confidence inspiring. I can bring it down on low and close passes and know it's locked in. Um, I I ended up getting, so I've gotten into this habit of doing hat cam video. And what I've been doing it for lately is so that I can record my flight, even if I'm not going to use the video for like a YouTube thing. And at the end of each flight, I go back, I put the packs on the charger, I get the next set of packs ready, and while I'm letting the motor cool down, I watch the video. And I look at each of the passes, and I look at, you know, uh, what's going on in the middle of the pass, is it at the right, I mean, am I doing consistent altitudes, consistent distances away, Uh, you know, how does it look in terms of relative speeds? And it just kind of helps me replay and realize, okay, that was a good pass. I've got to do that again. And this other one sucked. Let's try to avoid whatever it was I did there. Kind of in combination with mental notes. Uh, So I got a bunch of video. I do one video per flight and just hold on to them all. And so I was messing around over the weekend and figured, hey, I think I've got enough video here to do a little mini video. So I put a, a new video together for the TDR2 and posted it up on YouTube and um, man, got a really good response. Uh, I have had tons of people that have asked me, and I don't know if you guys have seen it or not, how fast is it going? Because it looks like it is smoking fast. Uh, so, so two things. One, I don't have a GPS on it yet because... Up until now, I had been dealing with the issues with the tuning, and I was just not, I, my head was not in getting speeds when I wasn't even sure if it was going to make it through a run without pitching up. So I just never installed the GPS, and that was the same for last weekend. I'm, I'm going to have it on next, uh, next time I go out to the field. Two, I, I don't know how fast it's going. I could guess, um, when I go back and look at the videos, it does look like it is going freaking fast. But I also want to temper that with the thought that the proximity to the camera and the sound play a pretty significant role in that. So, it, it, you know, Nick and I were kind of talking about this sort of like similar with 3D. You know, you go out and when you're doing a demo, 
for people who have never seen helis before. They don't want to see you do a pyro flip. They can't even wrap their heads around that. But if you flip it over, inverted nose in and get within an inch or two of the grass, <laughs> that is like the coolest thing they've ever seen. I think speed's analog to that is everyone likes seeing something go fast. And whether you're going 140 or 180, most people won't know the difference. But I'll tell you what, if you put 180 mile an hour pass 50 or 60 feet from the spectators versus putting 120 mile an hour pass 20 feet away and low down so that they can hear it, they're going to think the 120 was faster. Yep. <laughs> right? Yep. Most likely, yeah. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. I'd love to be able to say I know what the speed was. My guess is it's probably in the 140s to 150s pretty consistently, but uh, we'll see. We'll get some numbers here soon. Other than that, uh, this week also marked the, uh, finally, completion of the rebuild of my secret squirrel, which uh, I big dick played. Uh, at Othello, <laughs> and uh, it, it is back in the air. I got to uh, remaiden and check it out a couple of evenings uh, this week out of work or after work, and things are going well there. Of course, I can't talk about it, but it feels good to get something back in the air. The NX7 remains in pieces. Um, and there's been a lot of thought about whether it will continue to remain in pieces, whether it will get sold in pieces or rebuilt and sold or just put on the shelf, uh, with the whole logo 700 that just came out, Nick and I have been going back and forth about what makes sense for me personally. And should I stick with the nitro and go with the 700 electric as the main or should I get rid of the nitro and go to 700 electric? I don't know. I've got some thinking to do. Does that wrap your week up? I think that's it, man. Do we have any news this week? Yeah, we got a little bit of news. This week's news is brought to you by superiority.com. Well, as Justin hinted at the new logo 700 is now available. So um, up on Mikado USA, they have these in two different kit combos, the 717 VTX combo. And I think they have a 697 or something like that combo uh, just determines blade size. And uh, this is with those crazy new blades that they've got out. Uh, nine ninety nine for a kit with blades, which seems right about on par with with most of the seven hundreds these days. Obviously, Mikado, it's going to be a little more on the expensive end, but it's there. It's cool. I dig it. I can't wait to see it in person. That's probably like my big thing. What's that? I like the canopy. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of traditional. It's a little bit of new. It, it again, I I'm still sticking by my guns. This is the 700 that they should have done the first time. Mm, yes, I agree completely. Yep. And probably I think they it looks agree awesome. Now too. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, so. I'm pretty excited about it. I just I'm nervous about the parts pricing. That's yeah. really what it comes down to. I've owned logos before. They're amazing models. They haven't always been the most reasonable to rebuild. Fair. We shall see. Uh, let's see what else we got. We have a uh, hobby wing put out a little memo here. Uh, dear valued customers, hobby wing North America team would like to extend our apologies for the delay in the release of the Wi-Fi module. We have received our first shipment of the module from hobby wing factory and preliminary tests show that the design is solid. However, we have uncovered an issue with the Wi-Fi link app that affects both iOS and Android versions. Um, this issue could possibly have an unpredictable effect on any ESC that is being configured via the module. And so basically what they're saying is, hey, we are going to get it figured out, but we just wanted to give you guys a heads up and say sorry because we know uh, we had, they had set a date that they'd hope to get this all done by. So my hat's off to Hobby Wing for um, getting that dealt with before they released it. Yeah. Uh, Duncan Telly. Let's see. The Soxos DB7 is now up for pre-order at Experience. Believe it or not, I don't see a full price. I only see a underneath in the description nine 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 ninety nine. Oh, there we go. Another one nine ninety nine ninety nine. Cool. Well, hey, I, that's right one. I, I don't know if I've seen that one in person at all yet. I saw it at, um, I saw it at OHB. It, it's uh, very different looking. It's like short and fat, short and wide. It is. I, it's, it's a heli, heli. <laughs> I want to know, you know, so I read in the details here, and I hate when manufacturers do this. Come on, guys. Um, Let's see here. The Soxos DB7 has a new rotor head developed by Duncan. New technologies allied at ingenious innovations make the DB7 Soxos the ultimate weapon for 3D flights. Okay, what are the new technologies and innovations? Tell us, please. Show us a picture. What am I missing? Yeah. And and it's a the video is of a flight. I get it. He can it, dude he can freaking make a rubber band powered helicopter look good. <laughs> what the hell is the big deal about the model? Sell it to us. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Flight videos only go so far. But hey, if you want to be like Duncan, now you can. <laughs> oh jeez ish wow. is that all it takes not to make that too obvious yeah <laughs> yeah alright uh, moving on so MSH you know they have the brain twos out now well a uh, friend of ours and MSH pilot um, got some videos up. Sorry, I was having a total brain fart there. Uh, 
So Mike put up some videos um, that goes through all the new features of them as far as the logging, vibration analysis, um, nice little four-part YouTube video setup where it totally goes through everything. This is awesome. This is the kind of stuff that um, I really like to see out. So my hat's off. Uh, to me, this is for all you guys considering like the whole team pilot rep thing. This is this is what you should be doing. This is awesome. This is what sells stuff, giving people an opportunity to really get a good grasp of yep. what's going on before they buy. So nice work, Mike. And that is my news for the week. That's it. Huh? Nice. Anybody else got any news? Come on, Jesse. I know you have to have some news, don't you? Mm. Nah, nothing factual. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nice disclaimer. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Justin? No, dude. I don't think I have any news at all. All right. We'll move right along then, huh? This week's news is brought to you by Superiority.com. For superior quality web and mobile development and design with a 100% money-back guarantee. That's always on schedule and budget. Get the most from your website from www.superiority.com or www.dudemanlarry.com. Not kidding. Check him out. We are about to do something we haven't done in a long time. And too long. It's been a been a while we're gonna throw we're gonna do a random citizen giveaway oh yeah do you got your uh your does that finger? mean we need we need the button we need the we need the famous button jesse you uh winner winner chicken dinner winner. <laughs> dan i i do happen to have the button up oh. but but first what is it that we're gonna give away um how about a gift certificate to lower heli Oh, yeah. I could have used that this week when I was partaking of some ringage and some glow pluggage. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So our good friend Ken, the wizard at Lower Heli, uh, we're going to hook whoever happens to be picked from our very sophisticated <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner button. We are going to hook you up with a $50 gift certificate from Lower Hill. Um, so, Jesse, are you ready? We yeah, and I'm, I'm queued up and ready. All right. Go ahead. Hit the button. Let's see you what got happens. Like a, you got like a drum roll to throw in? I actually was going to try it, but I decided against it. Ah, bummer. <laughs> All right. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. And the winner of the $50 gift card to Lower Helly. Is citizen number 41. 41. John Burton. John. Yeah. Excellent. Nice. There we go. Congrats, dude. That's a pretty low number, too. Yeah. That is a low number. That's a good one. So what we're going to do, John, we were going to, we will get in touch with Ken. And uh, uh, we don't have, how are we going to do this? And uh, yeah, we'll get it all sorted out. Congratulations. Sweet. 50 bucks. Congrats, $50. dude. Excellent. Love to give shit away. It's nice. Yeah. 
with the crazy schedules that we run around here, having products that can be both technical and convenient is an absolute must. The Revelectric's Dual Power Lab fits that bill perfectly. With the extensive live data graphing capabilities that the Dual Power Lab offers, I'm never left with a lack of charging and battery information. Not to mention, being able to crank out 40 amps per channel leaves me with charge times that even I can't keep up with. So quit wasting precious time waiting for your packs to be done charging. Pick up a Dual Power Lab to step up your charging game. Thanks, Nick. For more information, log on to www.revolectrix.com, then click on the Revo USA store. Nick kind of alluded to it earlier in the show. We were talking about uh, Nitro and the issues that he had been having and tuning issues and whatnot. So we're going we're gonna to talk about these these issues and what a little speculation perhaps we'd love to yeah. do that you know um you know thinking back into the nitro days the glory days right for me it was probably three years ago maybe four with the two nitros never had a problem with them i mean they just flew 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 had two of them and it was just great never really had any issues but nick unfortunately has been experiencing some <laughs> nitro woes as it were right so we're going to talk a little bit about you know speculate a little bit i guess is the right word about why we think uh some of these issues might be happening nick why don't you go ahead and kind of give us a, a rundown i know you talked a little bit about it beginning of the show but let's let's kind of set the stage here well you know what made me think about it was i have put i mean i just put tons and tons and tons and tons of nitro flights on back in the day os 50 os 55 i mean you know like os 55 and the fun tech b320 combo learning tiktoks all sort of stuff with that in my n5c countless countless YS91s, SR, 3DSs with numerous different pipes, Hattori pipes, Funtech pipes. And I have, uh, honestly, I've never had a problem tuning, ever. Now, I've had all the rest of the wonderful issues with Nitro, bolts falling out, you know, that sort of a deal. I uh, think I've thrown like two rods in YS motors along the way. But... Really, it wasn't, it was never a tuning problem. And that, that was pretty consistent across, you know, for everyone across those older run of motors. And then, you know, it seems like, and Justin had mentioned the same thing. And then you start doing a little bit more research. And it's like, once we hit the OS 105, the YS91 Turek, the SRX. The YS120. Oh, good God. There's a whole nightmare built into itself. Either one of them. Yeah, yeah, either one of them. And this newer era of motors enters loads of tuning problems. I just see so many more people having issues 
than I ever really remember back then. Now, I'm willing to admit that I'm probably demanding more out of a motor now, but it's not like I was ever flying my old ones like a sissy either. But I mean, I would literally go all summer, you know, never touching the mid on my 3DS and only going maybe a swing of like three clicks on the high and still just hammering on it and having a great time. So uh, I've just kind of come up with a theory and maybe it's just me and I'm sure that you know, I've definitely read lots of posts. People say, oh, I love mine. I've had no problems or whatever. It seems to be like the nitro manufacturers are pushing so hard to squeeze every last little ounce of power out of these things that they're creating a lot of problems. And that's, I mean, yeah, hello, it's it's exactly like it is in the automotive industry. The m- more high performance you make an engine, the more issues you will have with it. The less reliable it's going to be and, you know, the more finicky it's going to be. And I'm kind of I'm kind of over it. Like I don't want that extra 5%, even 10%. I don't want it. Because Nitro comes with all of its own little weirdnesses anyway. I want plug and play. That's what I enjoyed about it for all those years. And that's why I'm not enjoying where I'm at now. You know, it's like I'm I'm trying some pretty weird stuff. And and I I don't know, man. That's just kind of maybe I'm the only. I I know I'm not the only one. But I'm really curious to to hear back from the listeners, like their opinion on this. Um, because I, now I feel like I've flown quite a bit of motor, not as much OS 91 experience. I did have an OS 91 HZ way back in the day, but yeah, that was a disaster without being regulated. Um, but I just, I don't know. I feel like they're going in the wrong direction. I just want consistency and reliability and and I'm not out there for that extra power. I want parts everywhere. I want, you know what I mean? I want pipes to, to choose from to give it different sounds like back in the day. That was fun. You know, ooh, I like that pipe. I like the sound of that pipe. But you never, you know, one pipe might be a little bit more like, ooh, well, this one's got to give you a little more on the top, but man, eh, it's a little finicky to tune. And then the other one was just like, you could throw needle settings at it and mm-hmm. it ran. I don't know. What do you guys think? I agree. I, I, I think that um, you start throwing too much juice out of these motors. Uh, you know, at some point, you just need to go to a physical or physical, a bigger uh, form factor, which is hard to do in the in the heli world, right? Because they're all designed with a uh, you know a very specific size in mind. Um, you know. I do want to say though, and I don't know, I don't know if something has changed, but I do have a Turek motor with a with a 120 pipe. Granted, I haven't flown it very much, but I did fly it quite a bit when I first got it, and I never really had any problems with it. Now, has something changed in the in the manufacturing process since then? I don't know because I know that YS came out with a new version of it, right, or a a newer version, right? But didn't 
didn't you not like it at first? No, I didn't like it at first. Um, but I don't recall. I don't remember why. I I don't recall having the tuning issues being, or the needle settings, I should say, being as drastic as as what we've been talking about that you're going to be messing around with from the uh, 3DS or my my SR. Dude, that SR and the 3DS, those are two really good motors, right? And I, geez, I've got several of them, blown the piss out of them, and uh, just simple rebuild, several gallons, several cases, actually, in a couple of them. Never really had any issues. I just think if, you know, everybody wants more power, and we're trying to compare the nitros to electrics in power, unfortunately, it's, that's a tough, that's a tough road. Because as you mentioned, yep. you, you try to put pull too much performance out of the motor. Well, it's more finicky. It's gonna it's not gonna be as reliable. Those were reliable motors, right? They used to be very reliable. Much like you, Nick, I could go a whole season with only only doing a, a you know two or three clicks either way on the high. Mm-hmm. You know, once it was set, it was set. I I do recall having issues, and I can't remember, but I. I to, to be honest with you, Nick, I think the problem I was having with the Turek initially was the pipe. I, I didn't have a 120 pipe on it initially. I had the 91 Hattori pipe on it. And then I found the 120 pipe and bought it. Yeah. But I don't yeah. I don't remember specifically. Yeah, I I think you know, you hit on a really good point, Dan, regarding the what there's a lot that's changed in the last I'll call it five six years when when I got into the hobby back in 2009 and I'm sure from even way before then nitro was still a big deal right that that was sort of the main thing and we were just starting to see the emergence of electric power systems in big helis in in fact I can remember the first time I ever saw a big 700 electric it was a uh it was a T-Rex 700 Nitro LE with a conversion. I think it was one of Patrick's KDE conversions mm-hmm. to put an electric on there. I had one of those. Did you? Yeah, I had the custom heli parts. Oh, mm. that's right. Yep. Okay, yep. yeah. I remember. Uh and so, you know, back then Electric was just coming onto the market. It was nowhere near as powerful as it is today. I mean, the way that power is taken off is ridiculous. So now the Nitro guys wake up six or seven years later and they're like, holy shit, we've lost a significant amount of of, uh, market share. And we've lost it to a technology that basically gives you what amounts to infinite power on tap. So what do we need to do? We got to up the ante because we need to make sure that people feel like they can have as much excitement out of a nitro as they can with an electric. And here we go. Now we're trying to push the limits on the power. I think that really could play play a role because none of the higher displacement engines, including the 105, have been completely problem free in comparison to their older 91 uh, yeah, like know, the 91 ancestors. HDR. Oh, dude, that thing is amazing. Yeah. And I will not lie that when I started looking into the NX7, 
I had considered just getting a 91 HZR because yeah. I remember that that engine fondly. Very reliable. But here, here's the other thing I want to toss out there and see what you guys think about. Because electric has taken the market by storm and these engine manufacturers are they have to have lost market share not and not just in helis but in planes too guys right oh yeah it's the same story they're putting out less product they probably have less overall income and do we see potentially a lack of quality control as a result of that that's the hard part off mm, in i don't think you control? can see it well, yeah, how would you know? I mean, yeah, how do you know? How do we know as an end user? Well, okay, no, no. I, I, so I, when I say we, I'm talking about the collective we as a hobby. You're right, Nick, because go and look on the forums today and you can find just as many people that will defend the, the Turek 91, just taking that as an example, as being an amazing and reliable motor as you will find people who say, screw that piece of shit. I never want to use it again. Mm -hmm. yep. So I wonder if in aggregate we are seeing a potential shift towards less uh, quality control or more workmanship issues on these engines because they just don't have the throughput that they used to. That they get be. turnover at the factory. There's some craftsmanship involved and the old dude with the tribal knowledge doesn't tell the new guy. And now he's making motors a different way. That's per the drawing, but it's not really yeah. with the special sauce. Or the old guy doesn't even work there anymore because yeah. he moved on to bigger things. Yeah. 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 So, I, I mean, I think that is, so that's not a, I'm speculating as it relates to whether that is the cause of the issues that we see. But it is not speculation. It is a fact that industries see that. Our aerospace industry sees it. Yeah, but I guess the my main question is, is the result that we're seeing a cause of lack of quality control like you had just mentioned? Or just a, like Nick had said, going too far, trying to push the motors too far, the design too far? Well, I, so I will submit to you, Jesse, that those may be indistinguishable. Um, and, and certainly not exclusive of each other mm -hmm. when you are trying to push the performance of something to its max, it inherently becomes more sensitive to variations in the process that that builds it. Exactly. So, yeah, right? higher performance could all of a sudden create quality control issues yeah, that may have not so, existed. On it's the so weird to me, the swing on stuff. I mean. Yep. You know, using the, the Trek motor, for, just as an example, some people running Enya 3s, others running Enya 5s. Some people at, you know, a turn, 1.6 turns on the mid, some at 2.1. It's like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> All you over the map. never had that, that variation, ever. In 3DS, you could get on Run Rider and do a poll on needle settings, and everyone who even had a chance at knowing how to tune a motor would be within like three to five clicks of each other. Yeah, because it exactly. was consistent. It's solid. It worked. 
You know, everyone knew what plug worked the what plug worked the best. Everyone, you know what I mean? It's just because it was that's what you did. But this is it's like people are just grasping and it's like, "Oh, well, if this happens to start and run every time and gives me the power that I need, then that's the magic formula." But there's more than one way to skin a cat, but I don't I don't know, man. It's just it's weird. Seems really weird to me. I like I like well, Je- but- I like Jesse's take. That makes the most sense to me. It's combining both of these ideas and saying that it- pushing the performance is causing quality control issues that the manufacturers not they even aware. They can't of. hold. Yeah, they can't. Yeah, keep the co- the quality control high well, enough to actually what? achieve that. You know, okay, Jesse. I know you're in the middle of the review on the ninety six, but yeah, you had made even go back before that. It- you had made comments of like this. Th- I would. I can't even say that the NX7 is not. Re- er, excuse me. N7. The N7. Sorry, Justin's got the NX7 thing in my head. That the N7 is not ridiculously reliable, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you went tons of flights. Yeah, I have a lot of flights on that airframe. Okay, you are at a ratio of like five flights to one boom support screw now. It's it's not good. At the like, moment, it's at not the moment, good. It's ridiculous, dude. It might I mean, be you 10, can't keep them yeah, in. Yeah, you know, it's all relative. Yeah, and it's it right. It's all well. Yeah, but now does yeah. that thing not have more power? Oh God, yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It does. But you took out your reliability out of the model because it's all well and good until the one time it really well, causes a problem. And that kind of leads, so the, the whole time that we've been talking, the main thing I'm thinking about is, you know, you had kind of, I think both Justin and Nick had alluded to, oh, the electric helicopters are, you know, pushing the power side of things, they're pushing the power. So these manufacturers feel like, okay, well, if the electric guys are going to do it to keep up with the trend and how, you know, the direction the hobby's going, we got to push the power. So they start coming out with these new high-performance engines. My question is, is that actually what the end user, us as hobbyists, is that actually the direction we want? No. Do we, do we feel like we want more power out of these nitros? Nick or are these, are these manufacturers just trying to, you know, read the market and that's the direction they're going? But and I'm with, that would be an interesting poll. And I would like, I really do want to ask the listeners to speak up about that and if I'm, they're nitro people. Because yeah. that's, a, that's a good point, Jesse. I'm going to start a thread right now. Do it. What we know with absolute certainty is that while there may be individuals in this hobby that can run a business and those individuals may actually be able to design them themselves out of a paper bag, that does not mean that they have a single freaking clue how to market a product correctly. Yep. And we, we see it all the time. Uh, you know, heli combos or the direction that they're going in terms of heavy or light or whatever. Uh, They think they've read the collective voice of the community. And really, it's more of a pet project. And and there are lots of people saying this is stupid. I want it this way. And they don't listen. Yeah. So I mean. I see the other side of it where these nitro manu- the nitro motor manufacturers are sitting here going, okay, we got to, you know, something new, something to grab someone's attention. We're losing sales. What are we going to do? Nitro's on the decline. I mean, you really have to look at both sides, but yeah, I would be interested to see 
exactly what the community thinks because I'm in the same camp as Nick. I, I mean, old and reliable. I was good with that. <laughs> so let me ask you guys. So do you, I mean, I, do you really think that's a misread? Because think about every time you've tried or if you've been standing next to somebody that's trying or maidening a new nitro or whatever, and they do an inverted punch out and it just rips up there and you go, Ooh, look at that thing. Pull. Everybody wants more power. Okay. Hold on. I, I, I hear you, Dan, but I think I can apply that logic to electrics. We don't need the power we have in electrics. Right. I would agree what, with that. What What is the point? I, I mean, you've got Dude, people but see, like... you're we, thinking we, of it rationally. You're thinking of it... Look, they're all over... The, the electrics are all overpowered, but it doesn't matter. I mean, I remember having conversations back when they were putting out a measly eight horsepower, and everyone's like, geez, man, this one here is going to go 11 horsepower. Oh, my God. How much power do we need? When do we stop? When When does it stop? Dude, it's never going to stop. But the reason it doesn't matter in electrics is because it doesn't come with a hit on performance and reliability of the device. I, I get that. I understand that. And I completely agree with you. But what I'm saying is, of course, the manufacturers of nitro motors are going to be saying, well, yeah, we, we, need a, we need a motor that puts out more juice. But, in, but if they're going to do that, then they need to make sure that the motor can withstand and still be as reliable as the motors of yesterday that didn't put out as much juice, but always flew. Yep. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Oh, I don't know, man. It's, it's tough. It's definitely tough. I mean, I, I, I go back to, and I mentioned this to Nick earlier. You guys remember the Nova Rossi motors? Yes, I had one, a 57. Mm-hmm. 57. Yep. How'd you like that? I hated it. Why? Because it was an absolute bitch to keep a tune. And it was finicky as hell. Yes. And it was really hard but to get replacement parts for it. I'll tell you what, man, when it was on, it was on. Like better than the OS 55 or oh, yeah. the YS 56 or any of the other ones out there. And I think Nova Rossi kind of was already there. Uh, uh, in, in terms of taking their technology to those limits and unfortunately suffering the consequences because, you know, one or two out of 10 was an engine that tuned stably enough to the point where you could actually harness it, harness its power flight after flight without having to retune it each time. Maybe that's where we're getting to with the other engines. Yeah, but then think of it in terms of relativity, they were taking a machine, a motor that had the footprint of a 50 and trying to put it, trying to put 57 in it, you know? So they, are they, were they, did they experience those issues of a higher performance motor in terms of today's 91s that are now pushing 96, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, true. And that's, they were finicky and, you know, mine, shit, I think I only had mine in my 600. I think I only had it for a week before I said, no, thanks. I'm tired of messing with this thing. And it was kind of 
kind of the same conversation we're having right now about these motors that are coming out today. Maybe it was just, yeah. maybe it just, it's not a good combination pushing that much uh, power through that size motor. I th- I think it's, I really want to find out what, because, you know, maybe I'm on the, Maybe I'm not the norm. Maybe people are like, yeah, you know what? But I, it doesn't matter because I just love that big power. And sure. I have that pull up right now uh, in Heli Freak under our RC Heli Nation section. So please go in there and vote because I'm, I'm genuinely curious which direction this is going to go in. So that's, that's enough about uh, Nitro stuff and uh, speculation. Let's talk a little bit about uh, what seems to be uh, getting way popular these days. Now it wasn't so popular when I started in the hobby. I mean, when I started, it was the smallest heli you were going to get was a 600 or a 50 as we called it back then. Um, and I think maybe that's why my attitude towards small helis. I remember the first small heli, I think was the MCPX that, uh, blade made that really kind of started gaining traction. Is that the one I'm thinking of? The, the collective, yeah, it's the MCB. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. Absolutely. And that, damn, man, I had, shit, I had a couple of them. And I actually kind of liked them initially. And I remember saying, it's kind of like a little simulator, right? That you can fly in your living room. Yep. Um, But they're getting more popular, obviously. It's a less expensive way to enter into the hobby. And some guys just aren't interested in a 700. And they, they're perfectly content with, uh, I guess do we call them micros anymore. I think we still call them micros, don't we? I don't know. Maybe we don't. I I don't know. I mean, it 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 probably it depends on what you want to define as a small heli. Anything under a five hundred. Anything under a five hundred. <laughs> no, they're not is all that, called is micros. That, are, uh, do we do we concur with that, Jesse and Nick? <laughs> no, yeah, I call micros anything under like a two fifty. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about micros. I'm talking about small, oh, small helis, helis, which which may include micros. Oh. Yeah, the the new 450 size. Is the down. 360, 380 a small heli? Yes. yes. Yeah, I think, I think so. Yeah. I think it is. I, I, actually, I actually think that a 500 is a small heli. I, I used to I used to say I had a 500 and I, I actually really liked it. It's like, it was like the, the small heli that was just big enough to fly f- pretty stable and flew really well. I mean, Jesse, you had one, didn't you? Did, yeah. you, have, did you have 500? I, I did have a 500 for a while. And it was a good heli, wasn't it? New line 500? Yeah. Put a lot of flights on it. But there's a lot of them coming out these days. A lot of smaller helis. And, uh, let's start with, uh, <laughs> The Goblin, what is that? Three sixty-five, something like that. The Goblin, <laughs> smartass. <laughs> He's giving you a hard time, Nick. <laughs> I flew that heli. Two ninety-seven, somewhere in there. Yeah, but that was kind of not fair because it wasn't really tuned the best at the moment. Oh, now you tell me you did that on purpose, mm. didn't you? No, but like even shit. I remember going back and going, "Oi." I don't know what I was doing. I think I was dinking around with something and then I just left it. Did you guys see, and I didn't investigate it, but did you see Alliance coming out with a 470? Did I did see that. Mm. I didn't see that. Yeah. 
I didn't. That's very interesting. Yeah, they're they're getting popular. A lot of guys are really getting into them and not even concerned or not even worrying about getting into bigger helis. Uh, I don't know. Well, and I, I think that's what makes that sector of the hobby so interesting, Dan, because I, I mean, I get a lot of of texts or PMs or emails uh, from listeners who will start out with, hey, you know, you know, love the podcast. I know you guys all talk about big helis as being your favorite, but I'm content with my, you know, insert size here, 230, blade 230, or, you know, my 360 or 380. I don't feel like I need to go to a bigger one. What am I missing? Uh, am I getting everything out of it that I need to? And And so I think in my mind, kind of like the nitro thing that we just discussed, the small helis have evolved quite substantially and in, in, I would say, a different direction than maybe I would have expected. Back when I started the hobby, uh, I, well, so I started, you, you mentioned your MCPX. I started with a blade MSR, which was a fixed pitch. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, same thing, right? Like kind of like a sim. Love to fly it around the living room, buzz the cats, just really nice and stable, confidence inspiring. And then my first real helicopter was an Align 500. Loved it. Uh, great model. 430 blades, nice and stable, well built, took a crash well. And then I went to an Align 250 <laughs> and, and an Align 450. Oh, yeah. And I'll tell you what, back then, uh, it was my perception, but I believe it was reality. Those helicopters were garbage. They, uh, they, they were far less stable. Um, I would argue far less well or robustly designed, right? To handle crashes. Oh, yeah. They flew right? shit. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and so, so if, if I'm looking at it from, being a small heli owner five or seven or 10 years ago, I don't think there was as much of an opportunity no. for people to say, Hey, you know what? I'm okay with flying a small heli my entire life. I don't need a big heli. It was always used as a means to an end. The end being the bigger model, Six, right? Like you said, the, the 50 or the 90 nitro or the six or 700 electric. Whereas now, I, I would argue um, due in great part to Blade, uh, uh, the small heli can really be sort of a niche. Absolutely. Yeah. I, right? They've got all these different stabilization systems. Now they've got the, uh, I, you guys got to help me the name. I can't remember. Safe something. Safe. It's a yeah. bailout. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean, holy crap. Well, yeah, we you can learn about, to fly a, a collective. Like a multi-rotor, instability yeah, mode yeah, all the way up. I mean, I, I mean, we, we talk about simulators as, as always being the quintessential method by which to improve and learn and save on crash costs. And here you go. Now you got an opportunity to, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't know if I'd even get a simulator if I was starting in the hobby now, because if I can get a bailout, that's, that's just freaking fantastic 
Yeah, I think that the timeline of it is such that, uh, especially for me, it was um, simulators were, were, were available, and I did buy a simulator about six months before I bought a helicopter, and I played around with it quite a bit. Didn't really, and I've said this many, many times, didn't really help me because I couldn't, it didn't, the stick movements didn't mean anything to me because I didn't understand or it didn't, I wasn't correlating what a, a real helicopter is going to do as compared to what it's doing on the screen. And that's, I think it's because of the 3d perspective. So we had fifties. Uh, and so we had the fifties and we were crashing them a lot. Uh, some guys were really into the simulator. Uh, I, I really never was back then. So we, you know, the micros started coming in and, and they, yeah, they were all right, but, but we had already started on the big machines and, you know, call it ego, call it, I don't know, call it whatever you want to call it. But it, when you start on a big machine, it's, you almost feel like you're demoting yourself. And, and I granted that's, that's kind of an archaic way to look, to look at it, but it, it's a I mental thing. I think it's thing. fair though. Yeah. Because you're like, well, okay, well, I've already got this JR Vibe 50. Why, why do I want to go buy some little crappy little one? because they weren't very good back then. So we transitioned into, we had the nitros, the nineties, the fifties, uh, Mike micro started coming into the scene. Well, those of us who started on the big machines, we then turned to the simulator, right? To, to, to gain skill. Micro started getting better and better. New people started getting into the hobby and instead of spending $2,500 on a machine, uh, you could spend 150 on a machine that those of us who were flying our $2,500 machines didn't really want to buy, but those who were just coming into the hobby were like, wow, I don't want to spend $2,500 on a machine. I'm going to go buy this $150 micro. Yep. And they were like, that was their simulator. But then, you know, everybody eventually gets on a simulator. But that's how they get their start, and that's where they're happy with it. And and I want to make it perfectly clear. A lot of people are like, "Oh, I get it all the time, Dan. I know you you just hate those things. I don't. It's not that I hate them. It's just that I didn't start with them. And that being the case, I just I'm just was never interested in them because I was always dealing with a living, breathing fifty nitro, and I just thought that was cool. That was cool. Micros were not cool to me. They weren't fun. They weren't exciting. The bigger machines always were, and it's just that's that's just my mindset. But that doesn't mean some guy coming into the hobby can't just go ahead and get into it with a micro and be perfectly content with it, and just yeah. decide, eh, I really don't see. I, I guess maybe it'd be cool to own a seven hundred, but my God, do I really want to go spend two grand? What, why would I do that when I can buy a a, a good flying machine for under five hundred dollars? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they're going to continue to evolve into something that becomes more and more useful to a larger portion of the hobby. And I don't think there's anything wrong with someone deciding that, hey, the biggest they are interested in dealing with is a 360 or 380. I see a lot of it in the 500. To me, it's that seems to be a stopping point. For a lot of people. And I, you know, I kind of don't blame them. 
I, I really don't. I do, and I don't look down upon it. Like I never really looked down upon it, but now it's like I get it because the difference in the way that stuff flies, you know, there's you can do a load of stuff with a five hundred. Well, that's another it's, thing. It's it's just as much the flybarless advancement in technology as it is true. the airframes. That's, yeah, that's a really good point. And, and you know, it's it's everything. We're, we don't have the the quality near the quality control issues that we had before. You know, you couldn't back in the day. You bought a T Rex five hundred or a Logo five hundred or a Protos, and I I mean I think that was like that was it. You know, there was only a couple. Now there's a whole ton of them in all different blade sizes and ranges, and you know. There's th- that market. There's just a lot more options, and God, I'll be damned if they don't fly great. And uh, you know, a lot of people. I've back in the day, I felt like when you got to that size, you know, having your budget not allow you to go higher, you were missing out. Like you couldn't. You were only gonna get so good. You know what I mean? Because the models were just, they were just too squirrely. Like it was just too hard to do stuff. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, and that's how, you know, Dan, I'm with you. That's how how I have my experience with smaller helis has always been. It's like, God, you know, I can't, it's such a pain in the ass to sit here and try and TikTok a 250 in place when I can do it on a 700 and make it look good. Yeah. And so why would I even, why would that appeal to me? Well, that 500 is kind of like that. It doesn't matter. You hit that size point and I can fly equally on my 500 as I can my 700 as far as maneuvers. Goes. Well, like, I'll argue that that extends as low as the 380 if it's tuned well and for a subset of the total number yeah, of, of skills. Real close. I would say the only thing that the 380, I think, has a disadvantage with is, is when you start pirouetting pure stuff. Pirouetting maneuvers. Yeah. Yeah. It is just a lot harder to visually keep up with oh, a yeah. 380 pirouetting. I I agree. Whereas like 500, I I re- 570, I see no difference in the air when I'm flying. Like I don't even pay attention to which what it is. 500, it's like there's a difference, but I can still do it. Maybe not quite as clean, but I'm not like chasing my ass on it. 380s like right in the middle. I'm sure it would take me a lot more time flying it and then I would get used to it whereas the 500 I don't need any time to get used to it in that size and there's such a huge cost difference between a 500 up to even a 6 or 700. Like I get it now, man. I mean, I just I don't feel like stopping at that size you're cutting yourself short. On anything, I would personally way rather get a thousand flights a year in on a 500 than 200 flights on a 700. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And if that's what it is for you, 
back in the day, I felt like, yeah, I might go for the 200 <laughs> because I just, that 500 experience wasn't anything like it is now. Yeah. And, and that's kind of st- how I, st- now, all right, it, going into like the micro 250-ish size in between there, to me, that's how it was before. I haven't flown an Oxy, you know, or that size. These are good models now back out in the size. Of, dude, you couldn't make a T-Rex 250 fly good. To, it just, they never flew good. Didn't happen. They were horrible. So, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I kind of wonder now. I, I genuinely don't know how well does the current that size fly. That's why I'm so curious about the Oxy with Dan. It, can it be? Because I have the same experience as you with that size. My 380 is awesome. I love it. Uh, I, I'm sold. But two, what is it? Is it a 250, Dan? 255s or something yeah. like that? Yeah. I, I mean... My experience with 250s is that they suck ass. Well, that's one of the things I was thinking of. Is so our whole conversation, you know, with guys just being content with that size has been them either coming into the hobby or working up to say the, you know, the 380 size and then stopping. What's it going to take to make someone that, you know, has a 700 already that it's not, you know, it's not really a budget issue or whatnot to maybe go back to that 380 size or back to that micro. Cause we're, we're talking about from new progressing through and stopping. Well, what about going backwards? What, I mean, what kind of features or what flight characteristics, what, what would it take for you to go back to a 380 and go, man, this could be my, my main heli. I mean, I could be fine selling my 700 and uh, stop here. I, well, I couldn't you now see Dan. That's awesome. And I think that's awesome for Dan is still, only one here that knows 100%. Yeah, he, he knows. His answer is simple. I couldn't. Can't happen. I'm doing it right now. I don't have... The only 3D heli that I have flying is my 380. Yeah. Yeah, see, I don't... To go smaller, like, now, okay, 380 is just because it's different. I'm kind of at that point where even just different is fun. Because, you know, let's face it, when you try and get, you know, five, six, seven, eight hundred thousand flights a year, year after year to still maintain the happiness and the excitement, sometimes you just flat out need different. Doesn't matter if it's better or worse. It's good to just have some different to go smaller than that. I don't know. I don't know if it has anything to offer me. Would it be awesome to fly in the front yard? Yeah. You know, the 380 had some place originally. So with all your guys' responses, my question would be how, or, you know, my reaction would be, how can you tell someone that you're not missing out by stopping at the 380 or the micro size? Then I don't think you can, because I, because every, everyone, but you had said earlier in the show that you can now do, you know, and we, I think we agree you can do all the maneuvers, but. I mean, I had heard you know someone say, "Yeah, you're not you're not missing out on the hobby. Like you're, you're I, getting the, you're getting the hobby experience." But uh, we've all agreed, and I'm in the same boat. I I couldn't go back and do a you know 380 and say, "Oh, I take this over a 700." Well, I don't think they are missing out on the hobby experience. 
because the hobby is yours and it's subjective to each True. individual. I, exactly. I do think though. Four out of four though. I, I do. Th- <laughs> I do think given the chance for the most part, now there are exceptions to the rule. And I do think that for the most part, any of these guys that are content in this size, mm-hmm. if they had, like we all, you know, we all sit around and talk about, well, if I had all the money in the world, I'd do this, I'd do that. I pretty much guarantee you, because some, it, it really does come down to some, some guys go, that's just silly to spend that much money when I can do, I can have fun with this. But that, if that wasn't an obstacle or if that wasn't a concern, I do believe that they would get into a 700 and they would say, I see, I get it. Nah, you know, I'm actually... <laughs> Mr. 700 over here, I'm going to counter that and say I disagree because I have read a fair amount of posts and talked to a fair amount of people who had the money. They're not being honest they with themselves. never got <laughs> comfortable with the size <laughs> of a 600. Okay, I'll concede to I mean, they had smaller, point. and they're like, you know what? Every time I fly it, it just scares the crap out of me. I, I just don't, I, like, I want to. I want to. It doesesn't matter. I've got I bought the heli and and five hundred dollars worth of spares. I just don't feel comfortable and they feel so good with their five hundred. So up to that Yeah, that's true. So putting okay, that point aside, because I actually know one of those guys, Ed is one of those guys at a seven HV, scared the shit out of him. He flew out a few times. He just he just was overwhelmed with its size. Mm-hmm. That being said, without actually putting a ton of thought into it, that's a that's valid to me. I I can accept that. But if a, if if somebody's telling me, if they're telling me that they're not necessarily intimidated by a seven hundred or or bigger, um, that they just don't feel like they're missing out, but yet they could fly a seven hundred and they weren't intimidated by it. I think they're fooling themselves. But that doesn't. That's my opinion, and I and I think it's perfectly okay for somebody to be absolutely happy with a small machine. Yeah, because that's it's their hobby. I mean, if you know, Justin that's the, is that's the key right there. Bottom yes. line, I do. I yeah. think it's all a matter of perspective, and maybe maybe, maybe they maybe they you know hey maybe they they've only ever flown small ones. They get an opportunity to try flying a 700. They recognize that it's different, but in their mind and their experience base, they say it's not different enough to to make me change. Going back to my small heli. Yeah, and that, you know, that's kind of how I think that as the size goes up, the difference in how they fly narrows each time, right? From, From a... 380 to a 500 and then 500 to a 570 and so forth. As they get bigger, they fly different less and less. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So that's why I, even though I don't have experience with that 250 size, I do feel like my, my gut hunch is that there's a big enough difference between the way it and a 380 flies that you would be missing out not flying a 380 size. Do you guys you guys remember force feedback controllers? 
like when, back in the old, I don't know if they still have them or not, but like uh, the joysticks for like maybe a flight controller. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas yeah. the yeah, physics, yeah. see, for me, and I know we don't have force feedback, but for me, a big machine, it feels heavier. I mean, I, I know it is, but it actually, I actually feel like, um, let's say I'm coming down at a fast rate and I need to apply a ton of positive to, to get it going. It's like, I have to, you know, it's like you're, uh, you're feeling it. You feel that. Well, that, it's got a lot more inertia. Yeah. You, and you, yeah. you're feeling the, you, I don't know how to explain it, but with a, with a, with a small one, a micro, it's like, eh, just flick the little collective and the thing just flies pops right back up into the sky. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that's the, the feel of it. And I want to demystify one, one point that for the listener's sake, it's kind of my thought process, process along the whole micro thing and maybe clear, it'll clear some things up. Hopefully anyway. So when I, when I started in the hobby, um, and micro started coming along, I remember even talking about it on the show. I'm like, this is great. This is awesome because now, now everybody that wants to get into the hobby is they're going to get into the hobby and they're going to, it's like a starter. It's like a gateway, right? And they're going to work their way up. And for a few years, I thought that then I started looking around going, but wait a minute, they're not, some people are really not working their way up. And then for, for a year or two, I was confused by that. Like, I don't get it. <laughs> Why don't, you know, they're really getting into these smaller machines, but especially, you know, emails, talking to listeners it's like it's starting to click to me now the, the technology is increasing the fly barless controllers are getting better and these little machines are starting to fly decently that doesn't mean i want to go fly them but i get it i understand why guys would you know i was just confused because i kind of thought my impression of micros was well and i think a lot of guys back in the day this is great this is going to bring more people into the hobby we're gonna have more guys to fly with right and then they're going to work their way up to a 700 or a 50 or something, right? Mm-hmm. It just right. It, started, it started not happening, you know, I, for the, you know, not globally, I guess, but just started noticing on the forums that guys were just kind of sticking around in that small machine and they weren't really interested in going in. It just for, I was like, I, I was perplexed by that. I was like, what? I don't understand you, <laughs> 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 but I get it, yeah. you know? As time goes on, these machines get better. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fun. So we, we don't, we love the small machines. We just don't fly them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't anyway. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm just at that point where it's like, I'm intrigued. I want to know the answer. I would be I, I would be very interested in finding out, but I just don't want to know the answer bad enough to spend the money. Exactly. Right. Yep. Because I don't. Uh, for the you. record, I don't think that I would be gaining anything. I just want to know from my own personal, just because I want to know. Yep. I should leave my oxy with you. You could, and I would. I want to fly your oxy at Snohomish. Sure. Yeah. Let's get that bitch tuned up and we'll got, all take a pull got, on it. I got three packs for it. One thing I want to quickly mention, and it kind of goes back to the Nitro talk, and it's just kind of a little historical perspective, and I was actually going to mention it. We moved in and I kind of forgot about it. Way back in the beginning of RCHN, I, I literally it was like in the first 
Tanner's so shows, we had an interview with Bobby Watts. I don't think we recorded this. I think it was after we were done, but you know, that was back when nitros ruled the world and electrics were kind of starting to take a little bit of a hold. And I remember Bobby and I, and I I don't remember who I was there, Rob, I'm sure. And Bobby told told us we were talking to says, there's no way an electric will ever win a major competition. (laughs) Think about that. Oh yeah, dude. I can remember back in, what was it? 2010 or 11 where XFC was being flown as all nitros and Kyle Dahl was the only one that was flying electric with his logo 600. Yeah. And we were having conversations about, well, Kyle didn't get scored correctly because apparently, you know, the sound and the smoke play a role in the judge's perception of the awesomeness of nitro. Yeah. That's exactly what Bobby was saying when we were talking about it. Says uh it's just it, there's no pizzazz, you know, there's no smoke, there's no sound. You can't, you know, it's I don't know. It's weird how, how times change. Well anyway, that's a fun talk. Um yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and mention it. Typically we don't talk about uh holidays or, you know, shit that's happening in the world, but I think it's worth mentioning as we're recording this show just earlier tonight, there were um, several police officers shot in Dallas, Texas. And it turns out, as I just saw on the ticker, five of them have died. Um, it doesn't necessarily matter where your politics lie on it. It's, it's a senseless, senseless act. And it's unfortunate. So thoughts are with the police. For those of you who listen to us, who happen to be police, be safe. That's right. So, I think we should wrap this one up. But before we do that, we should do some emails. Nick, if I wanted to get in touch with you, how could I do that? You would send me an email to nick at rchelynation.com or catch me on Facebook at nicklenrchn. How about you, Justin? You could send me an email to justin at rchelynation.com or catch me as Justin Pucci on Facebook or the forums. Jesse? You could send me an email to jesse at rchelynation.com or catch me on Facebook and the forums. I'm Dan. You can reach me at dan at rchelynation.com. Dan K. Reed on the forums and Facebook. Quick reminder, guys, get registered for RCHN4 Flight Deck. You can see on our, I think we have it sticky on the top of our Facebook page. I think it's there every time I log on to it anyway. Yep. And there's uh, a link on our homepage. Go ahead and get registered if you plan on coming out. Remember, we're doing a um, random giveaway of those who pre-register. Yes. I've got yep. plenty of cool things in mind for the winner of that one. Just remember. I cannot <laughs> wait. The winner does get to be my bitch for the weekend. Yep, they get an unknown heli prize, and they get to be Dan's bit. Love it. If you have a question about citizen registration, t-shirts, we do have some in stock. You can send those to canadarcihelynation.com. Check out the webpage, www.rchelynation.com. Any other announcements, guys, before we head out of here? I think that's it. All right, guys. This has been episode 239. We sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we've enjoyed making it. Have a good week. See you next Monday. Later. Later, guys. Easy, dudes.
This has been a production of RC Heli Nation LLC and is brought to you by BK Designs, Soco Heli Tools, Progressive RC, Rev Electrics USA, Lower Heli, Superiority, and MSH USA. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, please feel free to send us an email. Yeah.